Welcome to our Impact South Bend podcast. This is Tom Nyhart and my co-host and my wife, Jill. Hi. So to start off, describe a time or think of a time when someone did something kind for you that was totally unexpected. How did it make you feel? Oh, gosh. Um, I've had a lot of kindness in my life from people, but there's one that stands out that made me think. Um, when I was getting ready to head to Israel and Turkey, I had a couple of students going with me that money was super tight, and I had been working really hard to not only raise my support, but to help them raise support. And a church that you had preached at uh, got wind of it. I have a classmate who's a preacher there, and um, wow, <laughs> out of nowhere, this check for $1,000 shows up. And I wept. I was just so humbled by these people that don't know me. They don't know our students, but they saw the value of what this three weeks in Turkey and Israel on an educational hiking trip, um, <laughs> they saw the value and they invested. And I have never probably, I well, no, I've been touched a lot, but this was just really a deep place in my heart for this group of people. They were super kind to us. There are two words, humble and humiliate, and they are two completely different things. So the definition of humble, not proud, not haughty, assertive, or arrogant, ranking low in hierarchy or scale, insignificant, ref reflecting, expressing, or offered in a spirit of deference or submission. Now, I have heard one person put it, to be humble or true humility is not thinking too highly of yourself or thinking too lowly of yourself. It's actually not really thinking about yourself at all. Now, the word humiliate, it's to reduce someone to a lower position in one's own eyes or others' eyes to make someone ashamed or embarrassed. Humble is more of a choice, in my opinion. Yeah. I can choose not to be proud, assertive, or arrogant. Humiliation is something that can be done to you or that you do to someone else. So let's talk about a time when Jesus himself purposely chose to make a statement about being humble. So first question, give me the words that come to mind when I say feet. <laughs> okay, this is a trick question because uh, um, dirty, stinky, manicure, pedicure, I mean. <laughs> Gross. Gross. All of the things that you don't want to smell or talk about. Correct. You grew up on the farm. Ever step in animal poop barefoot or in sandals? Uh, I have to say this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I grew up on a farm with cows and pigs. And yeah, there were times we didn't think twice about walking right across the hog lot. And you just got out the hose and hosed yourself off. 
So a little background information on Jewish foot washing as I understand it. Foot washing was a pretty common practice in Jesus' day. Most roads were just dirt. Some weren't. You had people traveling on them, sometimes with animals. So I imagine there would be a fair amount of poop that could be found in the more populated places. But you don't think they had those little pooper scooper guys like they have at parades? I highly doubt that. (laughs) Um, Carts would roll through the poop, um, and people would have worn sandals of rope and leather. So your feet are going to be dirty. Yeah. Combine that with sweat-inducing heat, nearly bare feet and dusty roads, and you can just imagine the result. So when people say, but it's a dry heat, does that apply here? (laughs) It still induces sweat. (laughs) Right, Right. So when you enter someone's home, you came in with filthy, sweaty feet because you walked everywhere usually. Right, right. And it was common courtesy to have a servant or a slave wash their feet when they entered the home. Now, some rabbis taught that this task was so lowly and demeaning that it was unacceptable to have a Jew do it, even if he was a slave. And even today, in the Middle East, feet are considered filthy and undignified. You may have seen... Scenes from political protests where angry mobs pound statues or billboards with shoes. Or you might recall the Iraqi journalist who threw his shoes at a visiting president. It's considered a profound insult. So there's this deep sense of disgust about feet, especially in the Middle East culture. Well, they're not wrong. So let's jump to John chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, if you would care to read that. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do this as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, it feels as if something is really not right here. Like, I'm talking a major breach of etiquette has taken place. Jesus was this important figure, right? Yeah. A well-known teacher. Well, he was the rabbi. I mean, he's the big guy. And a crowd had gathered and made this huge deal about his entry in Jerusalem. And yet, here he is, the guest of honor in someone's home. No one has even washed his feet. Not even his disciples considered that. It's like they didn't take in any consideration of his, his dignity, his comfort at the meal. Well, and in other parts, they'd already bickered about their roles in the coming kingdom, like who'd be the greatest after Jesus. And then he gets up and disrobes and takes the role of like a slave and begins washing their feet. He already knew Judas was going to betray him, and he still yeah. washed his feet. So would you give either a family member, friend, or even an enemy a foot washing and a pedicure after they've had a long, hot day and work boots or tennis shoes? Because I'm thinking, no, probably not. I'd pay for a pedicure. <laughs> I mean, you know. if You'd pay someone else to do it. <laughs> or I would, you know. I mean, if they couldn't do it for themselves, if they were, you know, let's, I'd like to say, yes, oh, yes, I do that, but you. But this is what Jesus did. Yeah. And maybe we should figuratively wash more feet and be less defensive to people that have different ideas and viewpoints. So I'm sure, I'm sure you remember, we've talked about this a lot in our Bible studies, maybe not as much yet on any of the podcasts, but what are the two things that Jesus says in Matthew about the greatest commands? What, what does he say they are? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. Now, this information is... Uh, Information that I have learned on on my Israel trips, I've learned from uh, our leader of the Israel-Turkey trips, uh, and from his blog posts, that in the time right before Jesus, the decades before, you had a couple of discussions going on in two different schools of thought. Uh, one school of thought was the greatest command. They all agreed, love God. The second greatest command, one rabbi would say, obey the Sabbath. Now, another opposing rabbi, they both agreed, love God. But the other rabbi would come back and say, don't do to your neighbors you would not want done to you. In other words, love your neighbor as yourself. But even those two rabbis had limits. And the one rabbi, when if he's asked, well, who is my neighbor, might respond with, 
well, you're a fellow Jew. Well, do I have to love the Roman? No, you do not. They are our enemy. Mm. Now, the other rabbi, Hillel, if you asked him, who is my neighbor, he would respond, likewise, your fellow Jew. Sure. Do I have to love the Roman? Yes, they are your neighbor as well. Do I have to love a Samaritan? Of course not. Nobody should love a Samaritan. So in the story of the good Samaritan, the teacher of the law answers correctly as to what the two greatest commands are. But he wants clarity on exactly who he had to love. Who's my neighbor? So like, where's my out? Like, what's what's the line there? Exactly. Wow. So Jesus starts with a story involving the traditional favorite characters of every rabbi or teacher. And he starts out with the priest and the Levite, both of whom don't get it right. And then everyone expected Jesus to pop in with a third guy. Normally, a teacher or a rabbi would use a Pharisee or a teacher of the law as the good person, the person to do it right, the person who does the right thing. But shocker of all shockers, who does Jesus use? A Samaritan. Jesus uses a Samaritan. He's pushing the envelope because he is clearly stating that even Hillel doesn't go far enough with who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? And even more, in the story of the Good Samaritan, if you were to go read it, the Samaritan isn't the one receiving the love. The Samaritan is the one who is obedient. How do Jews view Samaritans? As social pariahs. They don't want anything to do with them. The Jews disliked Samaritans so much that in order to avoid walking through Samaria, they would walk miles around it just to avoid it. Yeah. Um, The lowest of the low. There was no love lost between the two groups of people. And this whole thing, I think, can be summed up by a statement that we should show mercy and love even to our enemies. It's easy to be humble. It's easy to show hospitality. It's easy to take care of your family and and your friends, to wash their feet It's harder to be humble and show hospitality and take care of your enemy, to wash their feet, to show mercy on them. That's probably one of the hardest things to do. So the question is, is what will we do with that? Jesus sets the example. He he washed his disciples' feet. He washed the feet of the one that was going to betray him. And he purposefully chose to be humble. He purposefully chose to not be assertive or arrogant. And of all people who might have had the right, if anybody has the right, to be assertive or argumentative or forceful. Yeah, but that's not in his nature. That's not who he is. That's yeah. not who Jesus was. And I guess that shouldn't be in our nature either, right? It shouldn't be in our nature. We should be willing to put others first. 
and ask ourselves the question, who is my neighbor? Not the question, well, who am I going to love? Whose feet am I willing to wash? But who's, who am I not willing to love? And Jesus sets the example in that. And so to close out this podcast, what's your choice going to be? Who are you going to love? Whose feet figuratively are you going to wash? And who are you going to look at and accept as your neighbor? All right, that's it for this edition of the podcast. We will catch you next time. Try to meet that challenge this week.